just love that woman. <laughs> I just love her. Well, this is an awesome privilege for me to stand before you people. And I just want to thank you so much. And thank you for my husband, first of all, for giving me this opportunity of sharing my heart towards you. But I, I, I said to him, I can't wear Saul's clothing. I can't come to you with the teaching gift of Alan Vincent, but I'll come to you with the gift of Eileen Vincent. And I come to you with uh, an insight and a wisdom that God has given me prophetically into many scriptures. And I want to say to you from the beginning that God is doing something incredible on you and it requires a new anointing. And I was just contemplating and thinking on this and I thought, God, where, why are we where we are at? If we had had the double anointing from generation to generation to generation, we would not be in this place now. And oh God, we require that second anointing, that double anointing. We need that portion to come upon your people in such a power and such uh, outpouring in these days so that this next generation will take us where we should be. Something is happening. Something is happening in the earth. And I want your eyes to be open and your understanding to be enlightened. And I will pray wisdom and vision will come upon you even this afternoon. There's a power in impartation, an amazing power in impartation. And I just want to read you one little quote you've got at the top of your notes, and I'm not going to tie, be tied to notes, I can tell you that straight now. Colin Whittaker, the, Colin Whittaker in his biography of Reinhard Bonnke, what an incredible man, Reinhard. We saw him the other day, it's like being next to a mountain. Mm, such, such authority, such power, such bigness. He reports in this book, when Reinhard went to the Clappen home of George Jeffries, the famous evangelist, who laid his hands upon him, and there was a mighty impartation into Reinhard as George Jeffries poured himself, poured himself into this young man. A very short time later, Jeffries entered glory. His work on earth was accomplished. Precious ones, it requires a passing of mantles, it requires a laying on of hands, a giving of impartations before our work is accomplished. And too many have done a work which has glorified them or has given them a sense of achievement but has not been completed because it has not passed and a mantle or passed with an impartation. No double portions have been given. And we're living in a time of desperate need of the Spirit of God. And within us, we've got a capacity, we've got a gifting, we've got an authority, we've got a charge to give that double portion. And I want to call you precious people of God, even today, even as you hear my words, that you would be charged in your spirit and you will not be satisfied unless something happens within you which causes you to grow up and to come to a place and to come to a place of authority so that there's something within you that you can give. Come on, we can't assume we're going to give. We've got to get something to give. And I'm, I know every one of us should be on a massive stretch to get that something. What is this impartation? It's a pure gift. It's a gift out of God's own heart. It's a gift from the heart of God upon us, and then it's resident within us so that we have got a capacity, an amazing God-given, grace-filled capacity to give a gift to somebody else. To me, that blows my mind. I am absolutely astounded to think that God would entrust that ability to humanity such as us, that he would allow you or me to lay our hands upon somebody and give them a God gift. That is amazing. But I want to tell you, that's what really we're talking about here. The power of impartation. Romans 1 verse 11 says... Paul, this precious one who knew so much about impartation, I long to see you talking to the Roman church whom he had never met. He's writing to those he had never met. I long to see you. 
some heart of love there, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. And you speak into the Thessalonian church, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives. And we'll come to those scriptures again. Impartation is such a mystery. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. This amazes me. You remember when um, Peter and John went up to that uh, gate, beautiful, and there was that lame man, such as I have, I give you a miracle. I, want, I don't want anyone here to underestimate the fact it's always a miracle. We might not see a lame man jump up, but it's a miracle if someone could lay their hands upon you and like it happened for my husband, he gets a, a gift of incredible healing, gift. If someone could do that, that's a miracle. Such as I have, I give. And God wants you to know you've got something in here. You have something that you can give. What a mystery. What a mystery. In essence, impartation is one person giving to another a gift or attribute which he has received and has be become him. I thought about that before I wrote it. And you see, it's like that when you give something to somebody, it's be you've become it. It's part of you. Like the gift of prophecy, it's part of me. It's in me. I can't separate it from me. And other gifts, you, so it becomes you. And then in this incredible mystery, God enables you to give that gift which you've received to give it to somebody else. He imparts, the person who is imparting, he imparts this God thing from himself to another. It is a point, I say, of collision where the spiritual realm impacts the natural, where spiritual realities are transferred, where hungry souls are energized, and where gifts are given and inheritances are received. It's a transference of God-given gifts and abilities that are alive and vital, given by those who live in the overflow of the Spirit. I'll tell you, forget imparting to anybody unless you've got too much inside. Let the overflow come. We need the overflow so we've got something to give. And I believe that only those who are living in a place where they are receiving so much that they've got an overflow can they truly impart. Through the anointing upon their lives, as they live in the presence of God, their gifts grow stronger and stronger and are available for impartation. Come on, folks. We want to be those who can lay our hands, who can impart to others. We want to be those who are full because we live in the presence of God. We want to be those who are always insatiably hungry and desirous of more and more and more of this Holy One. And it, when we live in that place and when we are never satisfied with anything less, I tell you, we're going to have something of overflow in our lives. And when we lay hands on people, something will truly happen. And when we speak, there will be the impartation of of God coming upon people's hearts and lives. They won't be able to miss it because there's something flowing out. There's too much inside. It has to spill. I'm looking for that. I'm trusting God even this afternoon, even through the speaking of my words, that your hearts will be captured and caught with a fascination with him who is glorious and magnificent and who alone can satisfy us and that your heart be drawn in such a way that you will never, never, never be satisfied until you have more and more of him. Get a hunger for him. Get a passion for him. And then let him do what he will do with you anyhow. It's his agenda. You know, before you go laying hands on anybody or imparting to anybody, there is a necessity 
of having some permission from the Lord. You know, because lots of people press in upon you, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. But you know, you have to have a, a sense of caution in your spirit to whom you give it. And you have to have a permission from God to release that gift. When they laid hands, remember, on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out, it was the Holy Spirit who said, you lay hands on them. They had permission. And then you see there's another thing, you've got to have more than just permission. You've got to have faith that something's actually going to get happen at that point. That's a faith activity on your part, that there is, it's possible for a transference of a spiritual something to come upon that other person. So, permission and faith. Alan went into the impartation by Moses to Joshua in some detail, but there were one or two things I wanted to pull out of there, because there was one time when I had the privilege of going to Seoul, Korea, and uh, being in uh, Dr. Paul Yonghe Cho's incredible church, and he said something which was always lodged in my spirit, and he was talking about the pastors in his church, and he called them the big pastors. These were big pastors. They were in charge of tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands, they under their charge. And he said, I have given them of my authority. And I, that lodged in me. And I thought, what a strange expression. I've given them of my authority. And here you see in Numbers 27 and verse 18 to 23, when Moses is setting Joshua apart for the ministry to which God has called him, when he is doing what he, under the straight dictations of the Holy Spirit, what he is to do, he takes Joshua, a man in whom is the Spirit, and he says to Moses, lay your hand on him says, set him before Eleazar, the priest, before the congregation. And in the New King James, it says, inaugurate him. In the Amplified, it says, give him a charge in their sight. That is clear. Give him a charge in the sight of all the people. So you take this man and you set him before the people and you, at God's dictation, Give him a charge. And it says, you shall give him some of your authority. In the New King James, Amplified adds the word honor. You know, because when people are come to a place of incredible ministry and anointing, look, you know, there is honor attached to it. God gives honor. And it's God says to Moses here, give some of your honor. Give some of your authority to this one. Now, what does that feel like for the person who's got the honor and got the authority? They're going to look at somebody else, that one upon whom they've laid their hands, and they're going to see them rising in honor, rising in authority. Are they going to get threatened? Are they going to feel, hmm, was it a wise thing I did? I'm going smaller, and this is going bigger. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease he must increase. What's it all about? His glory. It's not about us. It's all about him. And so we need to get our thinking straight and be prepared to have this Moses heart that we will do what the scriptures say. We will give of our authority. We will give of our honor. Let other people be honored above us. Can you say that? Let other people be honored above you. Let other people have authority above you. And stand back and rejoice. This is what God is calling us to. So Moses laid his hands. And it says in Deuteronomy 34:9, it sums it up. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. Isn't that wonderful? I would love that to be spoken. I'd laid my hands upon somebody and they're full of this gift. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you love that? That you have given something to somebody and you can stand back and see it. You can see it growing 
and emerging in them. That would be wonderful. That is going to bring glory to him. I tell you what else it's going to do in this day and age when we are at the end of the times, when Jesus is coming again, when there's a shifting in the face of the earth, when the devil knows his time is short, and when he can rise up with great fury at this point of time, and when God is raising up a people, a new generation, with great new anointings to overpower the enemy in these last days, it will give God great glory when he has, has the opportunity to release upon his body through your hands and through the hands of his servants in these days, great anointings. And a generation will arise who can do these last end time things which need to be accomplished. Moses' impartation to Joshua resulted in him having some of his honor, some of his authority, and the people obeyed him people obeyed him because Moses had laid his hands on him. Are we ready for that? I just want to press on to impartation is not to be confused with anointing. I've meditated on this because you see we could use these terms all uh, easily interchanging them but perhaps they don't mean exactly the same thing. And I've come to the conclusion that anointing is that which is directly from God. Let's just look at this. When um, in Acts 2 verse 4, the Holy Spirit fell upon those in the upper room. They were anointed with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus stood in the Jordan and he prayed, the heavens opened and uh, God spoke from heaven and the dove came upon him, the Spirit of God in symbolism came upon him. It, there in Matthew 3.16, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, anointing, if you look it up in the Old Testament, it means to smear and to rub in oil. You know that. It's like a ceremony, used in a ceremony for consecration of the priest. It's a physical act. An oil is put on a person. It's a confirmation of their calling or their function. And this is a good thought. The oil can be rubbed in, and you keep on rubbing it in, and there's room for more. I don't want you thinking about some experience when you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Rub it in, and let's get some more. Let's press in. There's always more. We don't have a historical calendar of the things God has done for us. What's the point of that? I want to live in the now of what God is doing for me. Rub that oil in and get more. More and more. Anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. The anointed person can't give his anointing to somebody else. You remember the those... Um, ten virgins those without the oil came to those the five who had the oil give us some of your oil go and buy for yourself you can't give your anointing away that's something you've got for yourself and you have to keep on going to get for yourself now but there's something different impartation you can give but anointing, you can't. You may well want to just dwell in that place, and I guess some of you teachers, you will think and meditate in that place, and there's a lot more meat in there, I know. But let's just put that one there. Anointing comes from God, and you can't give it. Impartation is the giftings of God which come upon your life, and you can give those. They become part of you, and you can give them. Now I want to look at the qualities of the person who is a lightning conductor, a person who can give impartation. You know, not all people can give an impartation. Um, in, further on in these notes I say, you know, there's some people who've got fantastic anointings upon their, upon their ministry. They stand up, they've got this great anointing, but they cannot impart a thing to anybody. And I just was meditating upon that, I thought, why can't some people impart? I think 
the reason they cannot impart is because they possibly don't even see the value of a generational transfer, or they are so locked in in me and my ministry, they haven't got beyond that point, so they haven't seen the value of imparting to somebody else. It might look like competition. And I believe there's many ministries who fall in that category. And I don't want any of us being in that place. We're going to be those who know how to give what God has given to us. Now, I want us to turn and I want to go carefully through 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. Because I know Alan's looked at this, but we'll come again there. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. And I'm carefully looking at Paul as an example Paul is an example of the people who impart. And he had amazing qualifications. And in this chapter, it spells out some of those qualifications. Number one, and you've got an extra handout sheet, I believe. And I'm on that handout sheet. Um, Number one of his qualifications, he was a tested man. And I want to say to you, precious ones, you're not going to go around having something which is of any worth to anybody else, or any, you will not have any power within you to impart to anybody else until what you've got has been tested. And Paul was tested in some very pretty harsh ways. Verse 2 of, t- of chapter 2. But even after we had suffered before we were spitefully treated at Philippi. Come on, that doesn't sound pretty, very nice, does it? Suffering and being spitefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we were bold to, uh, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, or was it in deceit? So this man had been through trials and difficulties. He was almost at a point where he needed to defend himself. He had been tested with harsh circumstances. But it was all so that he could preach the gospel of God. But that testing caused God to approve him in verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I want to say to you, precious ones, I want everyone here to come to a place where we've gone through our trials and our testings and we haven't crumpled and we haven't got complaining and we haven't come into the poor me syndrome, but we've risen up above our trials and our testings and our trials and the hurtful and harsh things that do happen in life. We get above those and that God could put a stamp of approval upon us. Approved of God, tested under all circumstances. Wouldn't that be good? Perhaps we need that stamp on our forehead. Tested, approved under all kinds of circumstances. And you know, God's got a big selection of circumstances he can put us through. And he wants to test every little corner of our being, every little corner of our attitude, every little kink and quirk where we think we're safe. I tell you, it's up for grabs. God will test it. He will put you in the fire. He knows exactly how to get at that place. And he is after a refining work in us to make us like Jesus. And he is not going to be satisfied. He's not going to put the approved of God stamp upon you until you've gone through the testing. So don't complain in the midst of testing. Come on, let's praise God that we are being chosen to be tested. Do you know, this might sound weird. Recently I was just praying and meditating on Paul. And I was thinking about him when I was reading the Philippian letter one morning. And I thought, here's this grand old man sitting in chains in a prison in Philippi. Too old to be doing that sort of stuff. You know, you know, come on, let the younger people do that. No, this is an old man in prison, in chains, for the gospel's sake. And I thought, well, Lord, you could have just had mercy on him and taken him home right there and got him out of his misery. But no, do you know what the Lord did? He gave him the ultimate privilege. And the Lord showed me this is privilege. He gave him the ultimate privilege of dying for him, of being martyred. He wasn't going to let him be robbed of that privilege at the end of his days. This mighty giant of a man 
got the privilege of actually being martyred. Now, I wonder if you and I would think that's such a glorious privilege. We probably need our minds being renewed. God wants us approved. He wants us tested. He wants to entrust us with the gospel. Oh, to be entrusted with the gospel. What a privilege. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. The next thing, this man was not covetous. He wasn't after their money. He wasn't after anything that they had. He was after being approved of God. He was after being entrusted with the gospel. He was a true, true servant of the living God. He was also not a man pleaser. And it, you can see that very plainly. He was not pleasing men and he wasn't giving flattering words. He, he wasn't getting anybody on his side by saying the right thing. And I believe that if we're gonna have Paul's qualifications and be those who can impart to that next generation and see something incredible emerge upon the face of the earth in these days. A, a generation of mighty men and women. I tell you, they need to have a Paul-like example before them of those who are tested and approved of God, not man-pleasers, not covetous, who are those who are true apostles of God. And I believe God is raising up such a company in these days. He was a true apostle. Look at verses six and seven. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you nor from others, when we, met, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But look what they were. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. I was just thinking about that. You know, a true apostle, here he is. He wasn't demanding attention. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm an apostle. I'm wearing the label and then having everybody just sort of be, defer to him because he is this something. No, this man was so humble. He, just like Alan said this morning, he wasn't drawing anything to himself. He wasn't requiring anything for himself in true humility. He was not demanding attention, but he was behaving like a nursing mother. Now, that is the least threatening person, a nursing mother. And that's how he was behaving, as a nursing mother. And I want to tell you, this man's our example. This is how apostles of God should function. As the nursing mother, the least threatening. Somebody who is just there to give. Somebody who's there to serve. Someone who's there to provide as a nursing mother. And it says in verse 11, also as a father. This man, Paul, was a mature man, full of genuine love. You know, love, love is maturity. Nobody's mature without love. Love equals maturity. We could also say in there, holiness equals love. You can't be holy, you can't be loving without being holy, and you can't be holy without being loving. The two go together. Now let's look at this love. This love was the driving passion of Paul's heart. In verse seven, he talks about cherishing them like his own children. Remember, this church, he's talking to a church, not to an individual. He's talking to a company of people. He cherishes them. That's a love word. Verse 8, uh, he's so affectionately longing for you. Love words, again. He's speaking love. And he says, verse 8 there, you're very, you've become very dear to us. Now, this isn't a formality. This isn't the, the apostle visiting the churches. This is something out of absolute love. And I, I tell you, we've lost something if we've gotten to organization where love is missing. 
This man is giving us the perfect example of the kind of man who's worth having an impartation from. Who wants an impartation from somebody who is just in a formal religion or fulfilling a calling but is stiff without the love of God? I tell you, this will melt what's in this man's heart out of him into you. Love is hot. Love is warm. Love flows. Love will impart. Love will not be able to be hold back the very impartation of the heart of God. It will know no bounds. Look at verse 8. Look at this. He says there, we were well pleased to impart, to give into you, not only the gospel of God, look, but also our own lives. Because you've become so dear to us. Our own lives, our souls, our very selves. We didn't hold anything back. Who wants that sort of impartation? I believe that that's what we need to come to to be the kinds of people that we're prepared to be that selfless, we'll give of our own selves, our own lives. Paul's life was an excellent life. I've written in my Bible there that he was a straight bow. You know, a bow, shooting arrows. What's the point of having a straight arrow if you've got a crooked bow? It's not gonna hit the mark. Paul was a straight bow. And so the arrow could be put into that bow, it'll hit the mark. And you want to go to somebody who's a straight bow. If you want to be shot into the purposes of God for your life, you find somebody who's a straight bow. That straight bow is full of integrity, it's full of truth. Here it says in verse 10, look, look at this, your witnesses and God also, how devoutly that's unworldly he was. In other words, other translations will say unworldly. There's too many worldly people out there, they'll never shoot you straight. Come on, you want to be shot straight to hit the mark. They're unworldly, devoutly. It says justly, that means upright, blameless. This is not just talk, this is his behavior. There's no charge against him, blameless. I want to be in that kind of bow. I want to be shot from that bow. Paul, such an excellent life. Because his own life was excellent, he could set a standard for the, those whom he was mentoring, those whom he was imparting to. He could set that standard in verse 11. He did it with loving exhortation. And he encouraged them, he charged them. It says, imploring them as a father with his children. That word imploring is such a heart-rending word. It's the tearing inside. It's, it's, a, it's a passionate word, it's a love word. Imploring, longing for, drawing them. And he's imploring them. What to do? That they'd walk worthy of God. And he's giving them a good godly example. I want to charge you people of God, before you lay hands on people and impart to them, make sure you're a straight bow. Make sure you've been approved of God. Make sure, make sure that you've been through your testings and your trials and you're not in your grumbling and complaining mode, but you've come through the other side. And God's got you where you need to be so that you've got something of gold worth giving to somebody else. I pray that for myself. And I pray that for you. Paul's impartation was not a formal ceremony. I tell you, we might do things in formal ways. But this man, it, there couldn't be formality about what he was doing. It was his heart love being given. And I want to tell you, precious ones, Paul it gives us that kind of example. And in Romans in chapter 1, verse 9, let's turn there quickly. Romans in chapter 1, and let's look at a few verses there. Verse 9, 
God is my witness whom I serve. He, first of all, he was such a servant. He was such a servant. And he, how did he serve them? Look, look how he served them. Without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. Come on, folks, don't think you're going to impart to people whom you don't even pray for. Don't, don't, don't take people and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to be mentoring you, I'm going to be putting into your life. You don't even have a knitting of heart in which you're even concerned to pray for them. Paul couldn't stop praying for them. I mention you every day in my prayers, he said. Verse 10. He was, his desire was so deep to impart to them. Making requests, if by some means, now at last I might find a way in the will of God to come to you. So he, he, was, he had a desire to come to them, to establish them, to strengthen them. And in verse 12, there's three expressions there of togetherness. Again, there were, it's this mutual, this coming together, this oneness, this love thing. Three expressions of togetherness. He says, share with you, mutual, you and me. Look at that in verse 12. Look at verse 12. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. What a lot of togetherness in that one verse. And God intends that if we get to this place where we, we are imparting, there is a mixing of what's in me with that person to whom I impart. There is a mixing. He wants fruit for them. Verse 14, he says, look at that, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Same word is used in other places in the scripture when Paul talks to himself, I'm the worst of sinners. Same word, I'm a debtor, I'm the worst of sinners. In other words, he says, I've got, I'm a debtor to divine justice. God could just, just cut me off. I'm a debtor to him. And I've got a moral obligation to every person around me. What a heart. What that, I tell you, if you get that attitude of being a debtor, it will write humility in the deepest corners and recesses of your being, a debtor. Let's look on a little bit more. There are peop some people who can impart unconsciously. You know, they're just being around their lives. They're imparting to you because something's spilling out of them all the time. They can't keep it in. And so that that's being given unconsciously the whole time. But uh, when that impartation does take place, there can be such a, a likeness in the person who's receiving, it's almost like they're being cloned, you know. You can see that one person gets the same anointing as another one, and it can be. There's a cloning almost that takes place. I'm going to move more quickly. Impartation is caught and given. Um, I'm going to go on down there quickly. Some impartations have the potential to become ministries. I'm on, verse, I'm on page 27 of your notes. And I'm coming to point, how, do, how does impartation happen? The spirit of the person is full of the gift and it spills over, yes. Now I wanna just, I've added something in here. The, the, how does it happen? I've put in here, number one, I've put through a mentoring relationship, through a discipling relationship, this is number one way in which impartation happens. Now that can happen by just being around that person all the time. This kind of relationship provides for impartation to take place on an ongoing manner. And this is the most natural means for impartation besides that of one's own children in your family. Because your own children are being mentored all the time and are receiving the impartation from you all the time, just unconsciously. But even in all these relationships, there's different levels of impartation that takes place. And then I've put down there all kinds of ways in which um, uh, we can get impartation through teams, okay? You can read this through books, and I know some of you have read a book where you've gotten impartation through it. Through prayer, I tell you, praying with somebody will do something for you. Praying with somebody, or praying for somebody. 
preaching, faith, you know, through just being around the spirit of prophecy will do things. Through physical ob objects, laying on of handkerchiefs. And somebody said to me just before the meeting, through even furniture. And I'll tell you, this is a true story. I was just getting up to preach one time, uh, the, uh, and I went to preach, and afterwards, when we went for lunch, the wife of the um, pastor of the church said to me, do you know, once you got up, I went and sat in your chair. I wanted your anointing. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that kind of hunger and that kind of desire, you know, will find a response in the heart of God. And there, it is a possibility that people can get anointings through even physical objects. I'll, I'll give you the other side of the coin. The people in the occult understand that. People in the occult understand that. And they've only got counterfeit. There is an authority even in objects. Okay. Of course, by the laying on of hands and through the word of prophecy. All these things. Now, I want to come down to, um, because I think I'm going to run out of time, I want to come down to mantles. And on, it's page 28 of your notes, different mantles. And I want to stay there for a moment. And you can read the notes on the other bits. A mantle represents the call and the gifting of a person. And it's unique and it belongs to him. Not everybody's got a mantle. Did you hear me? Not everybody's got a mantle. There's just a few of them. You remember Catherine Kuhlman? She had a mantle. And Benny Hinn got that mantle. And today we see Benny Hinn moving under the mantle, the authority, that anointing, that impartation of Catherine Kuhlman. That's true, isn't it? Now, within the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman, I'm sure there was a lot of impartation to all kinds of people. They would have received impartation for healing. I know through the ministry of um, Benny Hinn, many people have received impartations so that they now today can lay hands on the sick and, and they have a faith for healing that they never had before. But it doesn't mean they have the mantle. And there are mantles and there are impartations. So let's have a quick look at this. The mantle represents that call and that gifting upon that person. It's unique, and it belongs to them. Now let's look at Samuel's mantle. His, it's interesting, because I looked this up, Samuel and Elijah, the word mantle in the Hebrew language is completely different for both of those mantles. So here we're talking about two different kinds of mantles, both prophetic mantles, but they're described with different Hebrew words. And the, uh, Samuel's mantle is described simply as a robe or a mantle, and it represented who he was. He was a prophet, he was a judge to Israel, he led his nation, and if you think clearly about the kind of times in which uh, Samuel came, he came out of pain, he came out of a, a anguish, a time of terrible backsliding in a nation. He came out of the intercession of one woman, Hannah. He came from the birthing that that one woman, she hung on to God for a man, for a deliverer. And when God gave her that child, she gave him away to the Lord to be the deliverer for the nation. She, Samuel came on the scene at an incredible dark time. And the whole nation was in, a, in apostasy. The things of God were in apostasy. There wasn't much which was true or divine. And in the midst of that incredible, seriously bad time, this man comes on the scene. Now, as, as it's always, already been said today, he didn't even walk in the fullness he could have walked in. And he didn't train his sons. The world had invaded so deeply even into his own household. And that was a tragic situation. But there was a time, let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 15 with me. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel did the things that God instructed him to do very carefully. And he anointed Saul to be king. 
It wasn't God's first choice. You know the story. This was the people's choice. The people were having their own way. Samuel 15, look at verse 27. And you know this whole story? King Saul had spared the king Agag, and Saul is then rejected as being king over the people of God. And we have this statement here in verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he was also rejected from being king. And you know how he sinned and he pleaded, and, he, and then Samuel says to him, you know, you're rejected. And then Saul is crying out and he just wants mercy. Oh, Lord, Lord, help me, help me. I've sinned, I've transgressed. I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Oh, please pardon my sin and return to me. And as Samuel wouldn't agree to it, he walked away from him. And it says, Samuel turned around to go away and Saul seized the edge of his mantle and he tore it. He tore it. I want to tell you, you cannot steal a mantle. You can't steal a mantle. You can't use a mantle for your own advantage. Saul thought, come with me, enhance me. He wanted to use the mantle. He tore the mantle. And judgment was spoken over him. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That was a sad thing. And if you turn over into chapter 28 of the same book, find something interesting. Chapter 28 and verse 14. And you remember when Saul had got himself into the depths of, a, of wickedness and he goes to see the witch of Endor and he consults with this medium and then she calls up the, a spirit. And verse 13, the king said to her, don't be afraid, what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a spirit ascending out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man coming up and he is covered with a mantle. Samuel died with his mantle. Samuel died with his mantle. That prophetic gift was never passed on. There were those who wanted to rob it and tear it from him, but it wasn't for stealing. It wasn't going to be stolen. Elijah's mantle is different. Elijah's mantle is different. It was ample, it was huge, it was very extensive. It embraced all that he was, a prophet, a national deliverer, the one who controlled the nation. He, the, his mantle was so huge, it required an Elisha. It required somebody else to take it. It was too big for one man. Let's look. Just think about this, this mantle that he had. It was, he had his Elisha, and his Elisha walked with him. And his Elisha was right there, ready to receive that mantle. And Elisha, at his very first point of contact with Elijah, was already promised Elijah's mantle. It was his it was going to be shared. It was going to be given. And we could look so much more at that in a moment. But I want to talk about one more mantle. I haven't put it in your notes. Jesus had a mantle. He had a seamless garment. And you remember when he was crucified? The soldiers, Gentile Roman soldiers, they were just saying, well, how, what are we going to do with this? And they divided his clothes up into four lots. They said, no, don't let's tear this thing up. And they kept it as one. And just the Lord said to me, the seamless 
mantle of our Lord Jesus Christ was taken by those who killed him. The wholeness of the mantle was passed to unworthy people like you and me. We've received a seamless mantle. There wasn't anybody around that cross who was worthy of receiving that mantle. He passed it on. He let those who were actually putting the nails in his hands have it. And you and I are accomplices in that crime too. That whole mantle has come upon us. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? How are mantles passed on? There's many impartations, but there's only one mantle. And from my understanding of mantles, they can only be passed at death. Only be passed at death. Benny Hinn would associate with um, Catherine Kuhlman, but he didn't get the mantle until she died. He got the impartation. The mantle comes after death. And I believe that there are mantles to be passed on. And you better stay with your Elijah if you want to get that Elisha portion that's yours. That mantle of Elijah's belonged to Elisha. It was already spoken. It's yours. You know, go and anoint Elisha as a prophet in your place, he was told in 1 Kings 19. Elijah went in obedience. What did he do? He didn't pour oil on him. He just let him feel the mantle. He felt it. And something compelling happened. He was caught by something, by just feeling that mantle. Now, Elijah didn't leave the mantle on him. He let him feel it. And it drew him. He couldn't but follow the prophet. And some of you have felt a mantle like that come upon you. Just touch and you're drawn. You're going to follow that. You're going to get this. There's preparation for that mantle. If you're going to, if you're going to be a little Elisha who gets it, Elisha was hidden in obscurity. He's not even mentioned in the Bible between 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 2. He just is hidden. His name doesn't come up. He's a nobody. But where did he come from? He came from a wealthy home. He was plowing through all these oxen. You know, it was symbolism of wealth. He came from a, a good place, and he went to a bad place, it seems, to a nothingness. He came from plenty, he went to servanthood. He, this man had no personal agenda, he didn't need his plan, or he didn't need anything. All he was going to do was follow Elijah around. Elijah's plans were his plans. He had no personal agenda. And I think this is an incredible stumbling block for many people. They'll never get mantles because we have our own personal agenda, our own plans. But we need to have his plans if we're going to be inheritors of mantles. He was just described as the one who poured waters on, water on his master's hands. Now, if you're going to take that place, the personal training for an Elisha, if you're going that way, you have to deliberately make a decision. You humble yourself, and you put yourself in the place, and you're ready to stay there until, until God decides and brings forth the manifestation. That's a big, hard calling, but there's some who will do that. Now, I want us quickly, can we quickly turn to two kings? I'm going to have to hurry. Two kings and chapter two. And let's look here, because I want to show you one more thing. Two kings in chapter 2, we could go through this whole chapter here. Here these two are going on this last journey. Elijah's not making it a bit easy for Elisha. He doesn't say, come on, boy, we're going places. This is your day. He doesn't give him any bit of encouragement. He says, I'm going, you stay here. 
He doesn't give him a scrap of encouragement. But this man, Elisha, knows this is his time. So he follows. And they go, as my soul lives, I'll not leave you. So they went, listen to the language. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 4. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Verse 6. Elisha said to him, stay here, please. The Lord has sent me to go to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. Listen. And the two of them went on. Previous two, they went. Now, six and verse eight, the two of them crossed over. This word two there could be translated dual, double, couple. It could be translated a double portion. It's the same word. Something happened on that journey. The man stuck in there and he got the jewel, the double, the couple. Closeness so that he was walking to a place where it was going to be impossible for him not to have the double anointing. Something was happening. There was a spiritual dynamic happening. They cross over. They get to the place, verse 9, and they crossed over. And that's a time of transfer, a time of transition. And he went over. Ask what you may, and I'll do it for you. You only get it if you stay the course and go the whole way. Persistence bought him the double portion. If you see me taken away, Elisha says, let the double portion of your spirit be upon me. He's crying out for this double portion. You've asked a hard thing. If you see me when I'm taken, it should be so for you. And so it happened. And then suddenly, verse 11, the fire came and separated the two of them. These two have become such a two, such a close couple, such a dual, dual couple, that the anointing that belonged to Elijah couldn't help but come upon Elisha. And when Elijah didn't need this earthly tabernacle any longer, or this anointing for this earthly tabernacle, it just came to his other half, Elisha, and he got the double anointing. Mantles can be passed, double anointings can be given, and, but Elisha had something to do. If that was going to be activated in his life, he had to turn around, pick up that mantle, put it upon himself, this is mine, it belongs to me. And then he had to roll it up and he had to do what Elijah had done and open up that water. I believe the act of turning around immediately and striking the water and seeing the waters open activated that mantle in his life. And I want to tell you folks, we need to do exactly that. We need to do the impossible the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord God of the, all the earth was taken into the River Jordan and the Jordan parted and the children of Israel crossed. One man with one mantle did the same thing because resting upon him was the anointing of the one who is God himself. I'll tell you, we're in a day, we're in a time when God is going to open up things in this nation and is looking for the double anointing. That portion to fall upon this next generation. And you and I are those who need to be in a place approved of God that we can lay our hands and give it in Jesus' name. Let's stand up. Father, we just bow our hearts before you. These are solemn days. We call forth, Father, that double anointing, Father, upon ourselves. 
We call it forth, Father, that it would be activated within us. We call it forth, Father, that we would be those who would be so approved of God that we would have an overflow of our lives within, that, Lord, we'd be able to lay hands upon that next generation and see them run and run and run and fulfill your end-time purposes. Oh, God, we yield ourselves to you. Come on, folks, you yield yourself to God right now. We yield ourselves to you, Father, for the outpouring of your Spirit, for the impacting of your heart within us, Lord that will be those who will be those who could impart to this next generation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Just want to give you some information before.